Well, good morning once again. Thank you for joining us today. And just like last week, I'm sorry we can't be together in person. I hope and pray that we will be soon. But I want to thank you for, for watching this morning. Text this morning is returning to the Gospel of John. And we'll be in chapter 4 of John this morning, picking up from where we left off last time we were in John. So I'll read that section as we get started off today. John chapter 4, verses 27 to 42. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek? Or, Why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, There are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving his wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, you are the one to whom the angels fall on their faces and say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. May we give you honor and glory every day of our lives and be people who live to serve you, to worship you, to know you, and to make you known. May we be sustained, not through our own hopes and dreams, but by following you. May not our will be done, but your will be done, O Lord. We continue to pray for our community, Lord. We pray for businesses in this town that are currently closed or that are greatly limited. We pray for their owners in this stressful time, and we pray, Lord, that you would sustain them. We pray for people who might have symptoms of this virus this week and be especially worried or stressed. We pray for comfort. Lord, we pray for hospital staffs locally and around the nation. They're on the front lines of this battle, and we pray for their health as well. We thank you for people who have trained and dedicated their lives to helping people heal physically. And may that point us to the great physician who heals spiritually. Lord, we pray that this season of uncertainty and chaos would be a time of revival in our nation. And a time of bringing people to yourself to know you. We pray that this ends soon. That life can return to normal. We pray for this time. We pray that it be a blessing in unexpected ways. For some perhaps getting rest. For others being able to spend time with family. For all of us, Lord, we pray that it be an opportunity to spend more time with you, Lord God. We pray especially for those who are battling this virus and for those who have lost loved ones. Lord, 
May you be near to them. May they sense your presence and know your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Our passage this morning relates to the mission of the church. And we have so much to cover in this section that we're really just going to jump right in. As I mentioned at the beginning, we're resuming in the Gospel of John. Since we paused from John's Gospel a couple of weeks ago, briefly I wanted to remind us of where we are in this Gospel. Jesus has met a Samaritan woman at a well. We've talked about this before, but the Samaritans were a minority ethnic group who were half Jewish. And in the first century, there was a lot of animosity between the Samaritans and the Jewish people. Samaritans had some theological differences, and given their ethnic differences, this fueled division between the two groups. In our section, the Samaritan woman meets Jesus at a well, and they begin to talk. We had also learned in the former section that this woman has had five husbands and is now living with another man who is not her husband. So she's already part of a group who's looked down upon, and she's also had her sins exposed. Jesus tells her of the living water that he provides. He tells her of true worship of God. As the preceding section winds down, Jesus speaks to the woman. John 4, 24, he says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you and he. An incredible conversation that Jesus and this woman have had. And with that, we come to our passage of this morning. And we'll be looking at four scenes in this passage. First scene, an unlikely missionary. At the beginning of our passage, verse 27, there's a sudden change in direction. It says, just then, Jesus is talking to this woman, just then, his disciples came back. Earlier in the story, we had learned that the disciples had left Jesus in search of food. That's the reason why Jesus had been alone when he met the Samaritan woman. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? The disciples wanted to question Jesus for talking to this woman. Out of respect for Jesus, they kept their mouths shut. But they're still wondering, why are you talking to her? The disciples are not perfect. We see that time and again in the Gospels. We see examples of their pride. At times we see them lacking faith. And here we see that they're not above prejudice. And they see Jesus talking with this woman. They don't question it. But they're thinking about it. Probably giving her strange looks. It was the culture at the time. There was a lot of prejudice against women. There are rabbinic teachings that go back to the first century that talk about interactions between men and women. Some of these sayings are extremely misogynistic towards women and unbiblical towards women. There are rabbinical teachings from this time that suggest that a man should not speak to a woman in public, even his own wife. There were rabbinic teachings which discouraged teaching women how to read. I'm not saying that those views were, were universal to every Jewish person in the first century. But they were within the social consciousness. 
Every generation has its own areas of sin, has its own blind spots to sin, and misogyny was a common area of sin in the first century, and sadly, at many other times. But the Samaritan woman, like everyone else, needs Jesus. She needs to know his grace and love. So the disciples don't publicly question Jesus, but not because they don't want to. The text says that they marveled that Jesus was talking to a woman, let alone a Samaritan woman. Continuing into verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town. She goes and speaks to the people. Now it's interesting that John notes that the woman leaves behind her water jar. Throughout our study of John's gospel, we've seen times of newness, new creation, Jesus replacing the old covenant with the new covenant. And I believe that the detail of her leaving behind her water jar is mentioned because it's symbolic of the fact that this woman is leaving behind the cares and concerns of her old way of life. She's leaving behind her concern for nourishment to serve the purposes of Christ. She had come to the well for water, but she's leaving having learned of living water. So we have this Samaritan woman who's had five husbands, who's now living with a man who is not her husband, someone looked down upon by society. And she goes into the town and she starts telling people about Jesus. Verse 29, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Jesus has revealed himself to be a prophetic figure who has a knowledge of this woman's life that she sees as supernatural. He's claimed to be the Christ, and so she rhetorically asks the question to the people, can this be the Christ? I want to note something about this section that I think is really powerful. If you guys recall over the holidays, we were looking at passages from the book of Isaiah. A point we looked at in our study in Isaiah was how, for most of Israel's history, Israel was a divided kingdom. The line which led to Christ and which was the home to the capital of Jerusalem was the southern kingdom. In the passages we looked at in Isaiah, the northern kingdom of Israel had conspired with Assyria to go to war with the southern kingdom. And within a generation of those events, the northern kingdom of Israel would lose their land. Now, consider our passage in John chapter 4. They're in Samaria. That's the territory that was formerly part of the northern kingdom. They're near the former capital city of the northern kingdom, an area where the Jews had been expelled and lost their land centuries before. And you have this Samaritan woman who's had five husbands. She's part of a group who's hated. She's a woman. And she's the first recorded person in the northern kingdom, in the northern territory, to tell people about Jesus. In his sovereign will, a poor Samaritan adulteress is the first person to tell people about Jesus in northern Israel. Women in the Bible who could have been looked down upon by society or the unexpected heroines of several biblical stories. Consider another passage in the Bible that's common around Christmas time. The genealogy of Jesus found at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew. The family line which leads to Christ. And in that genealogy, there are four women mentioned. One of them, Tamar, seduces her father-in-law. 
That baby is in the line that leads to Christ. Another, Rahab, had been a prostitute. But she also helps protect Joshua's men when they're entering the promised land. She would have a son who's in the line that leads to Christ. You have Ruth, who came from a pagan Moabite nation. She wasn't an Israelite, but she followed the Lord. Her son Obed is in the line that leads to Christ. You have Bathsheba. Bathsheba was married, but she had an affair with David. In the family line. And we return to the Samaritan woman. She's the first person to tell people about Jesus in the former territory of northern Israel. To the glory of God. But I also think that should be encouraging to all of us. For women to see that God uses women in monumental ways to serve him and his purposes throughout the Bible. And it should also be encouraging to all of us from the standpoint that God also uses broken and sinful people to serve him, to share his gospel, and to tell the world about Jesus. No one is ever too broken to know the love of Christ. And no one is ever too sinful, as this woman was. No one is ever ever too lowly to share Jesus and be used by God to serve God. Serving the mission of God is not just for the spiritual varsity team. But God has his ways of using all of his people to serve him. And God desires for all of his people to serve him. To be light, to share the gospel, to serve others. To share God's mission and to serve God's mission in the world of being disciples who make disciples. God uses broken people to do his work. And he can use you. No matter where you're from, no matter what you've done, if you've wasted time, if you've spent years not serving God, then it's not too late. God can use you. Not because of who you are, but because of who God is. And to his glory, he uses broken people to serve his purposes. The woman asked the people, can this be the Christ? Certainly, she didn't know everything about Jesus. But she's gone to her people and told them about this man. She draws intrigue from her people. Verse 30 says, they went out of the town and were coming to him. With that, we come to our second scene. A heavenly nourishment. The Samaritan woman has left her water jar. She's gone to her people. And the story takes us back to Jesus and his disciples. Verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus refers to food. To the food that he has, and his disciples don't understand the reference. We've already seen several other instances in this gospel where Jesus metaphorically takes something from the natural world and looks at it in a spiritual way and where his audience misses the point. We saw that when Jesus was at the temple and he said that he could destroy the temple and raise it up in three days. He's referring to his death and resurrection and his body as the true temple of God. When the people heard that they could destroy the temple, they thought he was just talking about a building. We see when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about being born again. 
Jesus was referring to a spiritual rebirth. But Nicodemus thought Jesus was talking about physical birth. And we see it when Jesus first began speaking to the Samaritan woman and talking of the living water that he provided. And she initially thought he was just simply referring to water. And here again, Jesus refers to food, and the disciples are like, did he have a sandwich on him? Did, did they deliver pizza at the well? Jesus explains, though, in verse 34, when he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus is making a reference to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 8. The Israelites have been in the desert for 40 years, and it has been the Lord who has sustained the people. Deuteronomy 8.3 says, And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know, know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus finds his sustenance in his earthly ministry and fulfilling the will of God. That is his food. That is his nourishment. Man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus lived in accordance with the divine plan to fulfill the divine mission in the world. What are we living for? The mission of God is everything. I say all the time that the purpose of life is not primarily about happiness. It's about knowing and serving God. And we serve him through being part of his mission in the world. But my point when I say that life is not all about happiness is not I call it a drudgery and begrudging submission. Rather, the point is that true life, true life is found from the Lord and through serving him. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And that should be the food for which we all long. Borrowing an idea from Charles Spurgeon, we so often like to think that if we could do exactly what we wanted, if we could orchestrate our lives exactly as we wish, have everything we wanted, then we would be happy. And what this verse is saying is the opposite. Happiness is not primarily about what we want, what we desire, having our way. That happiness, meaning, purpose is found in going away from ourselves and what we want and instead following the Lord and his will. We are sustained by living for God and his will to accomplish his work. There is no greater sustenance than that. There is no greater nourishment than that. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So often, our focus is on our physical needs and not just the bare minimum of our needs. We have refrigerators and pantries. Most of us in this country have days' worth of food on hand. I think of this coronavirus when the crisis began. There was widespread reporting of people going to grocery stores, some people, not all, but some hoarding hoarding large quantities of food. Locally, stores were running out of food, and there's still shortages of toilet paper, as some of you have learned the hard way, and hand sanitizer. I'm not judging that. I'd be hypocritical. I went to the grocery store, too. 
But I think that's illustrative of our inherent concern that we have for our physical needs. It's a typical human behavior in a crisis to want to stock up. And certainly food is important. But I ask, how different would the world be if the people of God took our spiritual needs with the same seriousness and urgency as we take our, our spiritual needs, our physical needs? How different would the world be if we took our spiritual needs with the same sense of urgency that we treat our physical needs? An urgency to go to God, to live out our faith, to rejoice in the goodness of God, to pray to God, to overcome sin, to study the word of God. Man does not live by bread alone. So, so far in this passage, we've seen that the people, we've seen people God uses for his mission and the purpose of man and fulfilling God's mission. Third scene in this passage, a time of harvest. Once again, Jesus uses a metaphor to point to a spiritual reality. Verse 35, do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Obviously, in farming, there's a gap between sowing when you plant the seeds and when you harvest the crops. You don't plant seeds with the expectation that you'll be able to harvest them tomorrow. It takes time. But what Jesus is telling the disciples is that he's planted his truth with the Samaritan woman and that a harvest among the Samaritan people awaits. That they are at a time of harvest. A harvest of salvation of people coming to Jesus. Continuing in verse 35, he says, Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for the harvest. Remember back in verse 30, when the Samaritan woman was telling her countrymen about Jesus. And the verse said that the people went out of the town and were coming to him. Here, Jesus tells his disciples, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Some scholars believe that as Jesus is saying this, they're literally seeing the Samaritan people approaching them. We don't know for sure. But regardless, Jesus is making the point that they're in the midst of a people where they are ready to reap a harvest. That the news about Jesus is going to bear a harvest with the people. As we continue to see everything going on in our community, in our nation, and around the world, we too have an opportunity in this time and season. I realize that right now we have this shelter-in-place order, but... Even with that, we still have opportunities to reach people, to connect with people. And after these stay-at-home orders end, life is not immediately going to snap back to normal. Certainly, economically, it could take years. Some of us might have friends or relatives who live in Chicago or live in other places that are going to be more severely impacted than others. Certainly, many missions organizations will be extremely hard hit by by this is mission travel, short-term mission travel is slow to a trickle. And in some places, many cases, the spigot is totally shut off. There will be needs that arise from that. 
and opportunities to support, to send, and to serve. There will be opportunities through all of the uncertainties and difficulties of this season to be light, to serve God by serving others, and to share the good news of the gospel. Because in a time of uncertainty, people look for a foundation. In a time of questions, people look for answers. And in a time of crisis, people look for hope. As Christians, what are we going to do with this time? Look around. Look at our community. Jesus says, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. It's a tough time. It's a defining moment for our society. There are a few moments in our lifetimes when we know that life is going to change. Where certain aspects of our lives will never be the same after as they were before. And one of the things that I continue to pray, that during this time of uncertainty, that God will use this season to bring people to himself. That it is a time of harvest, a time of revival, a time to reach people for Christ. Verse 36. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. Perhaps that verse is a little bit unclear. Who's the reaper? Who's the sower? Who's the one who planted? Is it Jesus? Is it the prophets of the Old Testament? Is it John the Baptist? Is it the Samaritan woman? It could be intentionally a little bit ambiguous. That the matter of significance of what Jesus is saying is not so much who does what, but that a messianic age of gospel harvest has been brought forth and that the word of God has been planted and that there will be others who come to reap the harvest of salvation. All of it is for God and to the glory of God and for the salvation of souls through the power of the gospel. The sower and reaper rejoice together. They are co-laborers in the mission of God. Verse 37, For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. Some sow the word of the gospel, others reap the harvest. Some preach the word and others lead people to Christ. And certainly those roles can be vice versa. Maybe you're a sower in one person's life and a reaper in another person's life. Maybe you're the sower and the reaper in someone's life. This is all reminiscent of a point that we made a few weeks ago when we were talking about the subject of evangelism. The idea that generally a person does not come to faith in the gospel through just one conversation. So sometimes we are the ones who sow, who plant the seed, who share the gospel and the salvation that comes through Jesus. But sometimes the harvest doesn't come for weeks or months or years. Sadly, sometimes it never comes. And hopefully, as we have sowed the seed and shared the word of the gospel, that there will be others along the way who are also doing that in the life of an individual who we've reached. We sow the word, and hopefully we do that often. But again, sometimes it's someone else, maybe another friend, maybe a pastor, maybe another relative, someone else who helps them understand the gospel, who's there at the final stage to reap the harvest. 
The credit for who does what is not the thing that matters. It's the service to God and his mission that matters. And certainly, I hope that we can be, in many people's lives, on both ends of that spectrum, reaping and sowing. Jesus says in verse 38, I sent you to reap that for which, and keep in mind he's talking to the disciples, I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. When Jesus tells the disciples to reap that for which they did not labor, the point is that they're about to be part of a harvest with these Samaritan people, even though they personally had not planted the word originally. But they're there to help and be part of the harvest of souls coming to know Jesus. Both aspects of ministry, of evangelism and discipleship, matter. Again, the credit isn't so much what matters. It's faithfully, continually sharing the word of God and making disciples that matters. Fourth scene, a personal savior. We see the fruit of what this woman has done in reaching out to her Samaritan community. Verse 39. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when those Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. The text says that many Samaritans believed. Centuries of ethnic and theological animosity had existed between the Jews and the Samaritans. And yet, here are the Samaritans coming to Jesus. In verse 40, where it says, They asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And the harvest continued. Verse 41, And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. That's not put down to the Samaritan woman. Our purpose is to make Jesus known and to point people to him, not to be out for our own glory. It wasn't just hearing about Jesus which led people to Christ, but it was coming to know Jesus. It was experiencing Jesus. I think we too often get too formulaic when we're thinking about salvation, that just say this prayer, just say these things, just get baptized and you'll be saved. Let us not make evangelism impersonal, but to make our sharing of the good news of Christ about introducing people to a personal Savior. For the Samaritan people, they had the awesome opportunity to approach Jesus physically. But we also have the awesome opportunity to look to him, to look to his life, And to know more of the story. That when the Samaritan woman asked, can this be the Christ? The rest of Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection confirm that he is. 
that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the light of the world. He is the one who existed before Abraham. He is the one who has gone to prepare a place for us, who has sent a helper for us. He is the one whose body was broken and his blood was shed for our sin. He is the one who said, it is finished. And it is he to whom we are to make known to others. Every Christian is a person saved by grace living in a fallen world. It's something that God invites us into. Serving him and being part of his mission by being disciples who make disciples. It's an opportunity to serve God and in that to find fuller life. To find the food that truly sustains. No matter who you are, you can do that. We've talked about the background of the Samaritan woman. God still used her. No matter who you are, fulfillment is found in serving God. Man does not live by bread alone. We live according to the word of God, who, and we are sustained when our food and our sustenance is to do the will of God. No matter who you are, now is the right term, time to serve God's mission in the world. Young or old, new believer or lifelong Christian, someone who has served God for years or someone who never really has, the time of the harvest is upon us. The time to introduce people to a personal Savior. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we do continue to pray for our community, our church, Lord, as we have to be part again this week, Lord, and I do pray we could be together again soon. Lord, I pray that we would use this time, that churches all around the nation and around the world would use this time to tell people about Jesus. I pray for receptive hearts. Lord, I pray that you bless this season, even as difficult as it is. Lord, I pray that you use this and know that you will, Lord, as you are the one who works all things for good for those who love you and are called according to your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen.